few minutes that we have left, take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. In God's providence, I don't think it is any accident that this is where we are in our study in the book of Philippians. You follow along as I read Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 1 where Paul writes, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ. If any comfort of love. If any fellowship of the Spirit. If any bowels and mercies. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. Having the same love. Being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We come to this passage of Scripture, I believe we come to the heart of Paul's short letter to these Philippian friends. It's here where we're going to see the essence of our theme, learning the mind of Christ, for here he says, here is what was going on in the mind of Christ in the Incarnation. Chapter 1, Paul sees Christ as his life when he says, for me to live is Christ. In chapter 2, he will demonstrate that Christ is the model of true humility when he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In chapter 3, he'll present this Christ as the one who will change our vile body so that it may be fashioned like unto his own glorious body. And then in chapter 4, he will show that Christ is the source of Paul's ability to overcome circumstances whenever he can say, I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. This is a book about Christ. And thus, in light of that, how should I think? And how should my thinking impact my behavior so that I ultimately end up like Christ? Often in trying to 
get to the great theme of the incarnation that comes to us in verse 5. We rush through these opening if statements. And I think we do a great injustice to the intention of the writer because actually he's going to say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he's not then actually going to describe the mind that comes in the verses after that. He actually is pointing back to say, see these four truths? These four participial phrases? This is the mind I'm talking about and here's how Christ demonstrated it. This is a chapter that is wholly taken up with the idea of humility. Paul will start in the verses that we're going to look at today with an exhortation to humility, and then the whole rest of the chapter is means of us beginning to understand what that looks like when he gives Christ's example and his own example, and then Timothy's example, and then Epaphroditus' example. And in the midst of all of that, he is saying there's a purpose to this humility. And in particular, as we look at this opening section, the purpose to this humility is the benefit of community. It takes this mind to rightly and fully enjoy the benefits of the community that Christ Himself has formed. So in these opening four verses, we'll see three simple things, and we're probably not going to get them all today, but we'll pick up because we're going to go through the chapter. And so there are incentives, if you will, that God gives for humility. There are then injunctions for us about humility, and then there are instructions, three simple things, incentives, injunctions, and instructions. And they were necessary, necessary for this church that Paul is writing to, And they are immensely necessary for us. Paul in this setting is writing to a church that had every reason humanly to find itself as fractured as Corinth. You look at its founding and who was there from the very beginning, there wasn't a lot of reason for unity among a demon-possessed girl, a Roman jailer, and a wealthy Jewess. There wasn't much reason for them to bond themselves together. Philippi is an incredibly eclectic, dynamic city, a place that Rome prized, and yet a place that that was far from Rome, and so it was a great place to go and live. There were benefits there. Their tax status was beneficial. And so you take all of that, and you take gospel work there, and it would be very natural for us to understand that if this church begins to reflect its area… That there's a mix, there's a cosmopolitan nature, if you will, to the church. And so it shouldn't surprise us that part of what Paul does is write to them about community. And the mindset that it takes for community to actually function. And so I want us to see then, if you will, incentives for living with the mind of Christ, incentives for reflecting the humility that Christ demonstrated. And as we read it in the King James, you see these little if statements. If you will, they're all first-class conditions. 
meaning there's something that is said with the assumption that they're true. Some people like to say, let's turn that into sense, since there is, but I actually think that while that helps us technically, it actually weakens the statement. The better way to think about this is a positive rhetorical. You have any friends that, depending on where they're from regionally, it feels like after every statement they make to you, they say something like, you know? Anybody have a friend like that? Yeah. Well, in a sense, what they're calling for is your assent to something that they said is true. They're not asking if you actually know that, right? You might be tempted at times to say to them, I know, I know, I know, but that, they're not asking for that. They're just saying, you know? I grew up in Canada, and they don't say, you know. I wish they did. They say, eh? But it means the same thing. It means the same thing as the if here. This is truth that we should be affirming. There's strength to these statements. And so if you will, as the readers at Philippi are reading this, they're reading them in a sense as affirmations. Here's truth that we affirm. Here's truth that you are already embracing, and it's going to then call them out of these incentives, if you will, to this idea of, I should be living in light of that. There's truth that, that gives me a basis, and I wonder, is the way I frame my relationships, is the way I think about people, is the way I think about, now not individuals, but the sense that I'm in a community, am I shaped because this truth is true? And that's what he's doing here. And so I want us to look quickly at these, and the incentives are probably all we'll see, and understand actually what Paul is actually writing here when he says, first of all, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ. And again, that word consolation has a semantic range and it has a meaning to you. If I came up to you and I said to you, I want to console you today, you would have a sense about what I want to do with you in the relationship. And I'm, I'm not sure that's exactly what this word is intended to mean. Yes, help. But it's actually not the idea of consoling in a loss. The word that he uses here actually is the same word that is used for our understanding of the comforter that Jesus said that he would send in John 16. He is called the paraclete, and this is the same word, only not the noun. And how did Jesus speak of him? Notice what he said, John 16 and verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the comforter, there's the name, will not come to you. Verse 8, and when he has come, notice what he'll do. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And he talks about why. And then verse 13, he says this, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And out of these statements, we get this understanding that this one who is a comforter, a consoler, is actually one who will come and, if you will, convict or reprove the world of, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he will guide guide you into truth. This is the idea of this word to console. It actually is a basis for appeal. If there's a call to something that is in Christ, 
It's an exhortation. It's grounds for a challenge. You see, Paul is going to point out, first of all, that as believers, they were in a vital union with Christ, and this brought a sense of a moral, ethical, social responsibility. They were responsible, if you would, to heed the instructions of Christ. They were challenged to apply the mind of Christ with regard to how they thought about community. You see, if you are in Christ, then you are in the community of Christ. That's an unbelievable privilege. You see, you belong. From the time of the fall, there's been a sense of belonging in man that longs to be satisfied. And in Christ, we're accepted in the beloved. And that is true of every one of us. And so we're now, if you will, made a part of the community of the accepted. You belong. You no longer have to strive for belonging. However, Christ takes that community which He Himself through His own cross work formed very seriously. It's a community that He loves and a community that He guards. And so how we function in His community matters to Christ. And thus He says this then, if there is comfort, genuine comfort, that then should impact us. And again, he is saying there is. There is this ground of appeal to think rightly about the community of Christ that you're a part of. And that community ought to function in a certain way. It is marked by the comfort of love. Friends, that's part of what we were doing here this morning. We have felt a sense of loss, and in coming together and affirming the truth of Christ, we find a comfort, and it's a comfort that does something. It's a comfort that actually should impact us in a way that it helps us to regain our balance and to restore our perspective. The word here actually has in it the dynamics of, of, of being persuasive, and that persuasiveness or that drawing work is, is a drawing work of love. You see, these believers in community, were, were the, 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 they were to comfort and encourage one another in the love of Christ, and that was to empower them then to live out the life of Christ. Being together with other believers in light of the truth of what Christ has done for us ought to empower you to right thinking and right living. You ought to be encouraged when you're together with believers. Like Paul could say that, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing. Did you notice? He said, neither death shall what? Be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have a world that wants to detach you from God and wants to tell you that you don't fit and that you don't belong. And the community of Christ is designed that when you're together with believers, you ought to walk away convinced 
and comforted that you belong to Christ and that nothing can pluck you out of his hand. Is that what happens when you're with your friends? That leads us to the third thing. And notice what he says. If any fellowship of the Spirit, that's an interesting little statement. It actually could be taken either objectively or subjectively, partnership with the Holy Spirit or partnership through the Holy Spirit, I believe contextually because of how he frames these four statements, that it's second, it's partnership that comes through the Holy Spirit. He's talking about community. And as a result of being in the community and the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, there's this subjective aspect that God, through that community, by the work of the Spirit, frames in me an understanding of where I fit. And I think that fit comes as I carry out the mind of Christ, as I with humility don't think on my own things, but think every man also on the things of others. And I don't do anything for vainglory. As I begin to approach living in a community with that mindset, you know what happens? God shapes my life into exactly the shape that I ought to be in to rightly fit in the puzzle of His community. So in other words, you start with the thought that I belong because of what Christ did, and I begin to live a life that He shapes, and I begin to more clearly see exactly where and how I belong. And that then leads to this, if any bowels and mercies. The idea here is tender mercies. I remember some time ago when Pastor Matt Morale was here. He was talking about what sounded like an Italian word, spalacna. This is the word. And it actually is a word that was used to speak, if you will, in a sense about these, I hate to use the word comparatively, but, but higher emotions. The right kind of compassion, sensitivities, feelings. Tenderness, care. Paul says that we end up getting to live in a community that I hope over these last few days in the loss of a friend you actually have felt. It hasn't been trite or shallow like sometimes we feel we hang out and it's not all bad, but you walk away and you think, oh, that was, that was he's a nice guy. And then you go through something like you've gone through in the last four or five days. And you come together and you find yourself in an overrunning prayer meeting, running out the back of War Memorial or with friends at the back of the den and you really don't have much to say other than to put your arm around somebody and to cry together and say it's okay or to affirm the truth of the gospel in saying, you know what, this is really sad. But the gospel is true. You see, these are those higher emotions that God calls us to as a community that, friends, you won't find anywhere else. So here's the incentives. So embrace the gospel that you allow it to shape your thinking 
in a way that says, I want to be all that Christ wants me to be. Thus, in doing so, I will look at this community with the mind of Christ. And in doing that, I will allow the Spirit to shape me so that I don't just know that I belong, but I work at how I belong. And through that, God will do something for me and them. And that looks like this kind of real, genuine care that I can't get anywhere else. Friends, this is what God offers us in relationships through pursuing the mind of Christ. Do you long for it? Will you live for it? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gospel. And I thank you today that there is no more problem with Andres' heart that there is not a single thing that death can do to him. I thank you today that sin has no more threat for him. And that in his life, the lordship of Christ is complete. Oh God, I pray in light of the truths that we've explored today, that you would help us to live now with a heart marked by genuine humility that looks forward to looking forward to the way he is living today. And in the meantime, oh God, I pray that we would value the community that you have created through the cross. Because we never know when we'll face this kind of sorrow again. So may we pour ourselves into the rich incentive of a Christ-shaped community. For it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. You're dismissed.